0: Let's start reshaping Europe. It's time. A podcast series of dialogue perspectives, discussing religions and worldviews. A program of the Leo Beck Foundation, supported by the Federal Foreign Office.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Dialogue Perspectives Podcast. My name is Gil Schochat. I'm a program manager at Dialogue Perspectives. And today, we are glad to air the eighth episode of our series, Reshaping Europe. In this episode, I was fortunate to speak to our participant Svea Schnars, who is currently taking part in our Dialog Perspectives program for the third time already. In our discussion, we mainly spoke about her experiences as a self-proclaimed atheist in our Interreligious Worldview program, as well as the necessary boundaries for conducting respectful and forward-oriented dialogue between participants of manifold backgrounds. Svea also shared some insights from her research in the last years, where she investigated the relationship between scientism, critical theory, as well as post-structuralism in the context of the debate surrounding the new atheism movement in the early 2000s. In this context, Svea explicitly highlighted the importance of interreligious worldview dialogue for non believers like her. Svea contends that the vigor with which the new atheists around the recently deceased philosopher Richard Dawkins disdained any religious belief could potentially become dangerous as it paves the way for discriminatory views and actions. Her arguments can be read in her piece for our blog This Is Us Insights from Our Participants that has been launched a year ago. Svea holds a bachelor's degree in political science and cultural studies from the University of Bremen. She is currently pursuing her Master of Arts in Social Sciences at the University of Oldenburg. She is furthermore a recipient of a student scholarship of the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation and furthermore active in fields of LGBTQI rights, feminism and educational justice. Listen, enjoy and reflect. All right. Good afternoon. Um, very glad to welcome Svea Schnaz with us here, this uh, Dialogue Perspectives podcast. Svea, um, you are um, originally from Bremerhaven in northern Germany. Uh, you're currently studying in your uh, for your MA uh, at the University of Oldenburg, which is also in the north of Germany, um, close to Bremen. Um, you're a scholarship recipient of the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation, Um, And your master's course deals with the sociology of work, sociology of knowledge, and sociology of organizations. Um, You are a third year participant of Dialogue Perspectives. Um, You participated in 2018, uh, 19, 2020, 21, and now in this current program year. So you have been with us also uh, in Potsdam in early October um, at our autumn seminar, which was luckily held in person for most of our participants. Um, so, sofia yeah, I'm very glad to, to welcome you here to, uh, to our podcast. A pleasure to have you. Um, I would just wonder maybe just to start the conversation, um, and the conversation will also deal with uh, the blog post you published on our blog, This Is Us, in, in June of this year, and the blog post um, deals with uh, the relationship of uh, you as an, as an atheist, self-avowed atheist, to our Interreligious Worldview Program and Interreligious Worldview Dialogue in total. Uh, and I would just wonder um, what your first thought or first reaction was back in 2018, when you uh, took notice of dialogue perspectives. Um, did you uh, consider this something that would be meaningful for you um, from your atheist perspective at the beginning?
0: Hi, Gil. Um, first off, I'm very glad to be part of this today. and. Yes, actually, when I first participated in the Dialogue Perspectives Programme in 2018, um, the way I got notice of the programme itself was through my uh, scholarship um, organisation. So the was the Luxembourg Foundation. And at first I wasn't entirely sure what to expect because, as you've already mentioned, I'm atheist and religion has never really been part of my life um, as an important factor. So I thought by participating in this program, it might like broaden my horizon, especially because I still considered religion to be an important aspect in politics and cultural history and um, still of interest in many questions regarding society. So I thought by participating, I would kind of, um, well, as I mentioned, transcend myself by kind of leaving my personal comfort zone. So when I first participated, I was also partly afraid because I wasn't entirely sure what kind of people I would meet because due to the fact that I'm also activist in um, kind of topics regarding reproductive uh, reproductive rights and health and I'm a very pro-choice person, for example. Also, I'm part of LGBT um, IQ plus organizations, and I've always um, encountered religion from a very fundamentalist perspective. So I was also kind of cautious when first participating, but many of the well prejudices I had were proven wrong by the people I met there.
1: Um, and did you um, also have encounters that maybe, um, I don't know, triggered you in some sense, in the sense that you... That these were the fundamentalist positions you were you were practically afraid of. So did you did you uh, have the opportunity to have these uh, fundamental discussions? I would say uh, in the course of the program.
0: Yes, um, actually it did happen. Although I was surprised um, that most of the people I met were very intelligent and reflective, and came from such diverse traditions. So I got to know that religions do not really exist in monoliths as. It is often talked talked about, and um, still, I got of course to meet people who had very radical positions, which I would personally um, definitely, well, say they um, definitely transcended my boundaries. So I, for example, talked to a person who turned out to be um, on the very pro-life, as they call themselves, um, side of the abortion debate, for example, or also we encountered um, a very evangelical person during the program in Israel for example which really triggered me because there were kind of um, tries to um, well to convert and um, to really moralize in terms of being non-religious or being LGBTQ plus and these were like very triggering moments for me personally but it still broadened my horizon in terms of showing me where my personal boundaries are and when to stop a discussion, for example.
1: So what would you say are the, the personal boundaries that you have or personal boundaries in the sense of discussion? So what what, what are you... Because Dialog Perspectives and I think in all other dialogue programs that are um, trying to bring together people of many different convictions, um, there is the aim to create some sort of framework in which um, these uh, dialogue uh, actors can somewhat um, engage in a a fruitful conversation, Um, so what would you deem are the the fundamental prerequisites in order for such a fundamental uh, conversation also to be fruitful, um, even though you may not agree uh, on the outcome?
0: Yes, I think I've already also written about it in the article. I first kind of reflected on my personal social standing and what my personal reflections on religion are, but also what my personal political convictions are. And I came to the conclusion that I actually got along with most people who had similar political views were very reflective of their own worldview and their social positions and also reflective of the fact that their personal beliefs um, should not have necessarily an influence on politics as, for example, uh, regarding the rights Uh, in terms of bodily autonomy. So I came to the conclusion that especially like personal convictions and the way people deal with questions of death or questions regarding um, what gives them hope, what motivates them in life, these are very compatible with my personal worldview, especially in terms of intersectionalism and diversity. But I've come to really draw the line when it comes to, well, active influence on politics from uh, from a religious point of view, because that's personally also where I would draw the line regarding such topics as, for example, abortion.
1: So you would say, um, if I understand you correctly, that um, in all means personal, all elements personal, um, religious uh, convictions are uh, legitimate, but as, as soon as it kind of uh, gets onto the political level and tries to also... Um, draw influence on let's say societal issues in total um this would be the line that you would draw if i understand correctly
0: yes exactly because that's where also i realized that many marginalized people um have experienced at least like these ideas of religious hierarchy for example in germany but also i've come to realize that the reverse can also be happening if for example your critique of religion especially focuses on marginalized groups as for example, um, like the rising of Islamophobia in Europe.
1: And why would you think that this, um, and th- 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 this touches also upon your, your article, which is very interesting because you, you kind of uh, sketch your own journey also from, um, a reader, uh, or supporter or, um, uh, let's say, um, how would you call it? Um, disciple of the new atheist movement uh, around uh, thinkers such as Richard Dawkins. Um, why do you think that this is so, that these atheists um, or the atheist movement, the self-prescribed atheist movement, um, that consider themselves, I would say, progressive or in somewhat at least prone to ideas of enlightenment and, uh, and progress in the, in the scientific sense, why is it that they, um, in your view... Um, Pick out minority religious groups as opposed to also majority religious groups, because obviously in Germany um, or in Europe, in total, um, religious fundamentalism isn't only a uh, problem in, in minority religious groups, but also in majority. Obviously.
0: <laughs> okay, that's that's a pretty large question. Um, just a second. Mm. Yes. Um, Personally, I do think it is legitimate to uh, criticize, for example, religious hierarchies or hegemonies as, for example, um, still a major influence of Christianity on German politics, although we claim to be rather secular in some aspects. Um, What I personally just criticize about the New Atheist movement is that I felt like this Well, the superiority complex (laughs) in the way they talk about religion as also, um, for example, marking religious people in general as non-intelligent and um, non-reflective is what I criticize about it because usually when I came across many people who were atheists or very, um, well, let's say radical atheists, they tended to look down on religious people in a way which i which I felt was very counterproductive to have um an open conversation, so um I thought about <laughs> I thought about these boundaries which I said for me personally, but also um i thought about well on which and which aspects um in life I'm able to talk to religious people and reflect um in a well communal um communal setting with each other. And I felt that I could talk to a lot of people as, uh, who are part of the Dialogue Perspectives program, for example, about incredibly deep issues on a very reflective basis and also with uh, within a general consensus on these democratic structures. So I'd say I didn't really criticize only the movement of new atheism, but also the influence it had on people who consider themselves um, atheists or non-religious to really look down on religious people and not um, get in touch with other religious people in terms of dialogue.
1: So you'd, one could also say that um, this form of superiority complex is something that maybe also um, influences um, the total societal debate at the moment. I mean, in, in any... Regarding any subject, um, there is somewhat the feeling that each side claims to be superior in its argument, and that there is no willing um, or no will to actually um, go into conversation with the other side, um, go into dialogue, even if it may be maybe painful or maybe um, difficult. Um, so I guess what, what you're also um, describing there is a, is a signum of our of our times in total. Um, and I was wondering, um, maybe you could expand a bit on that, how your studies of sociology of knowledge, um, for example, sociology of organization, um, how this, how the, the, the insights gained from, from your studies played into um, your evolving into, let's say, an atheist with an interest in interreligious worldview dialogue, as opposed to maybe uh, having this superiority complex yourself. So was there any, any way would your studies influence you in that respect?
0: Well, actually, I would um, rather say it was my bachelor's studies that influenced me much more in this regard than my um, current master's program, because in my bachelor's, I study political science and cultural studies. And let's say um, there are very different um, dominant theories in each field. As for example, um, I've really focused on political theory and theories, for example, in regards to critical theory, but also in regards to something that is very popular, for example, in cultural science and um, post-colonial theory, which are standpoint theories. And I've really come to um, have an appreciation for these standpoint theories, which basically means that you as yourself, um, as a scientist, position yourself. And very clearly you say that, my worldview is um, not infinite that I'm still a person who is um, entangled in many different identities and it has an influence on my perspectives and on my um, scientific work, which is something that was very rarely done by many scientists because in um, usually the ideas of objectivity and rationality were very dominant. And that is something that really influenced me personally because in cultural studies we focus much more on dismantling these ideas of colonialism of anthropology, where um, the so um, well the so-called rationality actually led to have um, political consequences in terms of, for example, claiming that other groups are irrational because they are positioned in a, in an underprivileged um, social group and therefore have another world view or another perspective on the world than people who are usually, for example, very privileged in parts of scientific fields. So I think it was much more my studies of political science and cultural studies which influenced me because I'd say political science gave me a very broad overview of systems, of how politics work and cultural studies made me focus on the micro level.
1: And this micro level that you were just talking about, so basically, um, focusing on, um, the, the individual perception, individual standpoint of each and every actor, um, be it in academia or in politics. Um, this is a very powerful trend. Uh, I think also within our program, when we um, talk with our participants. Um, so it's much about what's your perspective. It's in the name dialogue perspectives, obviously. Um, and yet, um, the question would be maybe in this sense, um, do you think that when you say, okay, objectivity and rationality are concepts which are um, basically um, implying a false um, vacuum in which you would uh, think to, to operate, aren't these virtues or values that um, academics, for example, should strive for nonetheless? So on the one hand, being um, um, aware of one's own position. Uh, positionality, I think is, is uh, the term that is used a lot nowadays. But on the other hand, trying to reach these virtues, objectivity, rationality, as much as possible in your own research. So what do you think is, is the relationship between these these two poles, so to say?
0: Well, I do not think that they necessarily have to cancel each other out completely. I think for example that we need a basis for a discussion of course. Um as for example according to democratic principles or um well still with a focus on well where do you, where does incitement begin and where is um the legitimate legitimate critique of something. So um I'd say that is maybe maybe first off you need to find like a basis. And I think that's what many people strive for when they talk about rationality and science um, and scientific knowledge. That you need a basis on which you talk about the world. Otherwise, dialogue will not be possible. But I think that, for example, in terms when we talk about certain issues, that um, well follow these basic principles of dialogue, we can talk about it more from the standpoint perspective. So, after like having this fundament on which to talk and. Um, and like roots regarding dialogue and ways to talk about the world, we can start telling stories from our own point of view and how each person has experienced something differently. As for example, having people from many different intersections talk about issues and also kind of, well, opening up blind spots. As for me personally, I can definitely say that dialogue perspectives definitely showed me where my blind spots are as for example I learned quite a lot about the diversity of different religious traditions which I had no knowledge of which is actually quite important regarding the history of the world and current conflicts for example. Also I was very ignorant and very um, cardinal parts regarding the the Israel-Palestine conflict. And just by participating in Dialog Perspectives, I got to see the very different levels of the debates and discussions regarding this whole conflict and also the emotions, which is something I will probably always be spared from because I'm not emotionally invested in this conflict, but emotions play a large role and still hold an importance in such issues. Or, for example, I also learned about... um, yeah the differences of belief systems or for example ethno religions also um yeah this is like a part where i got to learn something which i would not have seen from my personal standpoint and i could not have well declared myself rational or objective in any way regarding these issues because only people who are affected by these topics actually Um, opened up these blind spots for me so I'd say this is like the way I would personally combine these ideas of maybe rationality having having at least a basic understanding of the world to argue from and then talk about the different standpoints so as I said my personal boundaries are there but I know which topics I'm willing to discuss and which I'm not willing to discuss
1: so basically um from what I understand, and I think this is very interesting how you how you try to to um locate also an intersection let's say between those concepts um and this intersection maybe might lead or might be the point of the what you call in your text uh, the, the, the sympathetic foundation for dialogue, so basically creating a space in which um different viewpoints different agendas different um Histories and different uh, different people that result from this obviously um, get together, um, agree on uh, some form of, of empathy of, of sympathetic foundations, um, regardless of their of their ideological differences. Um, but this that this nevertheless can be kind of a, a very fruitful start uh, for bringing groups together that um, that have not maybe uh, had the opportunity to to engage in discussion and dialogue um, previously. And I think this is uh, the core one of the, our core. Uh, assumptions at our program that uh, we have to bring um, young europeans together from all different all sorts of different backgrounds and, and cultures and um, and uh, and viewpoints in order to to strengthen european society against uh, those who who wish to um, create more um, divisiveness so to speak um, maybe before we before we end i would like to um uh, ask you what you make of, of, uh, of a term we've been discussing this week in our program. We had this uh, event uh, on 9th of November uh, at Alexander House, a place you, you've also visited in the course of our autumn seminar. Um, and we had a workshop for alumni and participants of our of our program um, with Amanda Harding, um, one of the descendants of the Alexander family, um, which has owned the house in the 1930s. Um, and uh, one of the central terms we, we talked about, I think this is also interesting for relating to what you just um, dis- described, is uh, the concept of deliberate dialogue. So deliberate dialogue meaning not having to agree on everything, but yet that all people around the table, around the dialogue discussion table, basically are keen in achieving something, a joint political objective or some sort of some sort of goal that they strive towards um, because otherwise not having a goal um, uh, when uh, practicing dialogue might lead to dialogue to become just um, some form of chatting with each other and i was wondering just if if you would um, be able to to name maybe the goal or the expectation that you had uh, or you have when coming to dialogue perspective so what do you think would be um, one of the main aims of, of coming together with so many people because this this takes time um, we spent a lot of time together uh, during the the program year um, and I was yeah would like to ask you what do you think is is your main objective when when coming together with uh, so many different participants?
0: Yes, as I said before, at first I wasn't entirely sure what to expect of dialogue perspectives, but as you noticed, I came back two times so I definitely found the basis on which we talked about the world very viewed uh, very fruitful and by coming together in this way, I noticed that most people who participated are people willing to to change um, the current systems in a different a different form of togetherness. And also by seeing, for example, where we can work together in which areas we have a similar worldview and can enrich each other's perspectives and um, focus on that instead of focusing on the differences. And personally I can definitely say that Dialogue Perspective achieved that for me because I got to know such um, incredible people, intelligent, reflective people, diverse people, and I'm still having um, contact to some of these people. I actually established some friendships and we have built a huge network um, where we support each other's um projects where we talk still talk privately also about different political issues and um, show solidarity to one another. And this is the main objective. I came back to dialogue perspectives these two times, and I'm definitely not disappointed in how it turned out.
1: I think this is a great final, final, uh, word on, uh, on this interview. Um, I think this is uh, also speaks to what we strive for, creating a community uh, of solidarity. Um, and I really, really thank you for your for your insights into uh, your thoughts, into your academic work, and also to your experiences with dialogue perspectives. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being with us, um, and I really look forward to uh, seeing you back soon in one of our check ins. Um, and uh, hope that you have a good weekend.
0: Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dialogue Perspectives podcast series, Reshaping Europe. This was a conversation with our participant Svia Schnass, on the relevance of interreligious worldview dialogue for non-believers. Until our next episode airs, you are very welcome to check out our manifold outlets to keep yourself posted on our activities. Visit our homepage, www.dialogperspectives.org. There, you can also read Svea's piece, as well as further contributions by our participants from this program year, on our blog. You can also find our podcast episodes on all relevant podcast outlets. Also, do make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My name is Gil Schopat. Stay tuned.